Father, and we're, as we're approaching your word, we recognize that apart from your Holy Spirit, we're not going to understand your word. It's a closed book to the natural mind. It's a closed book even to the carnal mind, but to the spiritual mind, to that which is under the control of the Lord Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can understand your word, and we'd ask that you'd soak your word into our souls so that it becomes a working part of our everyday life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're, effectively, we're going to be talking about the love of God, which, you know, we've been, you know, I don't know how Rick does it, but he picks all songs that have to do with exactly what I'm going to be preaching on. And since he didn't know what I was going to be preaching on, and I didn't know what songs he was going to pick, you got to give that back to God. And it happens almost every week. There's been a few exceptions, but very few. Uh, it seems like every week, you know, these songs were picked a month in advance. He clearly had no idea what I was going to be saying because I didn't have any idea what I was going to be saying. Uh, but we're looking at God's love, <clears throat> and as distinct, uh, distinct from the human love that we have for each other, I'm going to read these four verses, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. <clears throat> I'm reading it from the King James translation. You can read it from whatever you've got. That's fine. Uh, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren, <clears throat> which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that you may have lack of nothing. <clears throat> now, uh, backing up a little bit, when he says, as touching brotherly love, the word there is... Uh, comes from the root word phileo, but it, the word is Philadelphia. In fact, in this particular verse, it's Philadelphias. Uh, it's it's the, the, what we call the city of brotherly love. That's not what it is. That the the name means brotherly love. Whoever named Philadelphia named it brotherly love, uh, hoping that it would be the city of brotherly love. Of course, it hasn't turned out that way. It's one of the most dangerous places in the country. Uh, but that's what that word means. And he says, regarding that, you don't need me to tell you. You're already doing it. But then he goes on to say, he says, you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. That's not the brotherly love. That word is the agape love. The, the infinitive verb is agapao, and that you are to have that love toward one another. That's what Jesus commanded in John 13, 34, and 35, where he says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And in all of his commands to love, it was that love, the agape love. So we're going to need to look at those two things. <clears throat> that first form, the, the, the root word phileo, that's the infinitive verb to love, but it's specifically the brotherly love, the love that we have toward our family and so forth. Um, and it's usually translated brotherly love, sometimes the love of the brethren. And it has to do with the familial care that people usually have for, them, for their families that we're to have for other believers. We're to see them as our family and to care for one another in that way. 
The second word comes from the Greek root agapao, which is still the infinitive verb to love, but it's a completely different concept. <clears throat> this is the one that Jesus commanded the disciples to have toward each other. <clears throat> the phileo love has more to do with how we feel, that I'm to be fond of my brothers in Christ. I'm to enjoy being around them. I'm to treat them as I would a family member. That's somebody I'm glad to see. Now, probably all of us know families that don't like each other. That's fine. That's that's not the way families are supposed to be. Uh, Ann and I knew a family years ago that they had a bunch of kids and none of them liked each other. And, you know, mom and dad eventually divorced. And the kids don't have much to do with each other and it's just a big mess. How did it get that way? I don't know. But that's not the way families are supposed to be. Even the unbelieving world knows that. That, you know, that song, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, that's the way it's supposed to be. Okay. But in verse 9, when he starts off with that, he, he says that these people are already applying that love towards the brethren. So you're doing good on that. On that. <clears throat> He doesn't feel any need to exhort them regarding that love. But then the subject shifts right in the middle of verse 9 to the agapao love, the agape love. And by the way, this is the one that Jesus, this is, this is the difference that Jesus had the conversation with Peter about in John chapter 21. We studied this some time ago where Jesus said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these regarding the fish? Because this is the fourth time he'd called Peter away from his commercial fishing. Peter kept going back to the fish. And Jesus says, are you more committed to me than you are to the fish? This is the agape love, the, the full pouring out, the unconditional love. And Peter answered, you know that I love you, Lord, using the phileo love. I like you. I'm fond of you. I want to be around you. I like you, yeah. That's not what, people, that's not what Jesus asked. And so he asked him again using the same agape and Peter answered again using phileo. He definitely understood the difference and he definitely answered with the wrong word. So Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And this time he used the phileo word too. And he says, do you even like me, Peter? Do you even care? And Peter says, was grieved because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Using the phileo word. This is something we don't see just reading it in English. It gets a little confusing. He says, you know all things, you know that I love you, and he used again the phileo word. He was afraid to give the un unconditional, committed love word because he had just denied Jesus after he had sworn that he'd die for him. He denied he knew him. So he, was, he just couldn't bring himself to say, oh yeah, I'm really fully committed to you, when obviously he wasn't. And he kept going back to the fishing. And Jesus answered the third time, look, if you, if you even care about me, then feed my sheep. Tend to my flock. This is what I want you to do. <clears throat> so we come up against this, this concept, the, the difference between the agape love and the phileo love. And I've told some of you in the past, I used to, well, years and years ago, I was out of work and I had taken a job harvesting Christmas trees with a bunch of transients. And one of them was a native Greek speaker. His name was George. Sorry, George. He was you're a better George than he was. This George was good. The other George was eh, he's a street person, you know. Blatantly ungodly man. But it suddenly dawned on me that I had a golden opportunity because 
I wanted to know, is there a clear difference between these two verbs without somebody trying to put their own little theological spin on it? You know, well, I was taught in school. No, I wanted it from a native Greek speaker, and I had one right there. So we're loading a railroad car with, with Christmas trees and packing them down, and I said, George, can you tell me the difference between agapao and phileo? He says, uh, phileo, I'm imitating his accent. <clears throat> phileo uh, is, I love you. It's, I, I love you. You're my brother. I love you. Uh, agapao, um, agapao is, I, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I love you. And I thought, wow, you know, for a non-theological answer, that is golden. Because he clearly saw the difference between you're my buddy, you're my friend, I count you my brother, and I absolutely worship the ground you walk on. You're so important to me, I'll put you first in all things. There's a huge difference there. Okay, And he knew that. He didn't know the Lord. He was lost as a ball in high grass, and I'm sure he died that way. I never saw him again after that few weeks that I worked with him. But, uh, but he knew the difference between the human phileo love that, that we are supposed to have for each other and the agape love that we're commanded to have for one another. <clears throat> and Jesus said that if we have that agape love toward one another, then the world will recognize that as something different. He says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. So, how's that done? What's that look like? In fact, today's title is, How Are We to Love the Brethren? <clears throat> we want to keep in mind as we're reading that the word agape, or agapao, agape is the noun, love, and agapao is the infinitive verb, to love. The, but that kind of love has nothing to do with feelings. There's a description of this kind of agape love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you'd like to turn there, because I'm going to. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, describes this agape love. In the King James Version, it uses the word charity. There's four different words for love used in the New Testament. I believe there's five total, but at least four of them are used in the, in the New Testament. And the King James translators tried to separate this out by specifying this kind of love. They used the word charity. Well, that doesn't work for us because in our modern English, charity only means giving something to the poor or giving to a charitable organization or something. Uh, which is related to this idea because that's why we're supposed to give is out of an unconditional love. But it's the word meaning has changed to the point that that's all we think about. When we hear charity, we think of a mission barrel, you know, or a, a, what's the name of that place, Salvation Army or, or something. <clears throat> so in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, it describes this love, and I'm reading from the King James, so understand as you hear the word charity, it's the noun agape. It says, charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. We'll go back over this in modern English in a moment. <clears throat> it is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It seeks not its own. It is not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. 
that bears all things, that believes all things, that hopes all things, and endures all things, and charity never fails. Now, if you're reading along, you'd notice that I stopped short on verse 8. I only read the first three words, that love never fails. But if you read the rest of it, it points out that it's comparing it to other things that we think ought to last forever, and they don't. But this agape love does. <clears throat> So reading back through these descriptors in modern English, what we see, there's 15, 15 comments made regarding the agape love there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. The first one, it says, the agape love is patient, long-suffering, puts up with other people indefinitely. It's not, it's not going to be throwing, throwing, throwing other people out. <clears throat> Number two, agape love is kind. I think we all know what that means. Sometimes you have to ask yourself, was that a kind thing for me to say? Or would this be a kind thing for me to do? <clears throat> Number three, agape love is not envious. We're not comparing ourselves to other people, not wishing that I had what they had, or wishing that I got the good deal that they got. <clears throat> not envious. Number four, agape love is not given to arrogance, boasting, or pride. That's what the vaunteth not itself means in King James. It's not puffing himself up. But the next one says not puffed up. And that's the sense of being filled with self-importance, the, the pompous attitude that some people take. <clears throat> Number six, agape love is not given to inappropriate behavior of any kind. Of course, that varies from culture to culture, what's appropriate or inappropriate. Uh, there's things that other cultures see as completely normal and a good thing to do that we would be freaked out if somebody did in our culture. Uh, the Yanomamo Indians, the, when a traveler arrives and they're glad to see him, that somebody they know, they run out and they're, they're yelling and carrying on, and then they start rubbing his legs. These guys are wearing loincloths, so you're talking about rubbing his bare legs. Why? I guess because he just walked a long way to come and visit you. But frankly, if I walked into a church and somebody runs up and starts rubbing my legs, I'd want out. You know, in our culture, that doesn't work. But inappropriate behavior is different for each culture, and we're to be sensitive to that and to not do things that are inappropriate, whether it's because you know this isn't something polite to talk about at the table or... You know, whatever it is, it says love does not behave itself unseemly. It's not given to inappropriate behavior of any kind. <clears throat> Agape love, number seven, is not focused on self or the needs of itself. It says seeketh not its own. Number eight, agape love is not easily stirred to anger. King James says is not easily provoked. That you got to go a long way to get this guy out of his loving, gentle self and get him mad. It's, it's not something that's going to easily happen. King James says, thinketh no evil. That A lot of the newer translations, I believe, says take, does not take into account a wrong suffered. That we don't keep a score. We're not assuming bad motives in others. Uh, I've known people, though, somebody will look at them funny and they're right off the bat, well, he didn't like me. I saw how he looked at me. You know, he may have been thinking about something else entirely and just happened to glance your way while he was frowning about something else. And 
you know, that's possible. Ann and I one time walked into a grocery store. It doesn't exist anymore. It was Hank's. Uh, and as we walked in, I glanced to my left, and there was a guy coming the other way, and he looked at me at the same time as I looked at him. And at first I thought, I wonder if he knows me, because he was looking at me, kind of a piercing look. So I looked back, and he's looking at me again. Now he's really looking with a piercing look. And in a matter of three seconds, we're glaring at each other. I didn't know him from Adam's house cat. You know, but, but both of us sort of got our hackles up, and we're doing this kind of a thing, and, uh, and I broke free and walked with Ann, and I said something to her about it. She says, yeah, I know, you're just like a couple of dogs walking circles around each other with your rough up. Well, why'd that happen? Well, because I was thinking evil. I was wondering, what are you looking at? And, well, you know, he started it, honest. He started it. Uh, he looked at me that way first. So what? I was wrong. He wasn't a believer. I don't know what he was looking at me about, but I shouldn't have been returning the glare. I should have nodded to him friendly and turned my eyes away and keep walking. Instead, it was glare for glare, and I mean, you know, another 10 seconds, we'd have been asking each other outside, settle what? There wasn't anything to settle. We didn't even know each other. But love thinketh no evil. <clears throat> Number 10, agape love is not pleased with evil things no matter who it happens to. We don't think, ha, he had that coming. You think, gee, I'm sorry that happened. You know, I, I, yeah, he probably had it coming, but I still wish it hadn't happened. That's, that's not a good thing. Instead, it says that agape is pleased with the truth, is happy with it when the truth is honored, even if it's not to my benefit. There's times that I voted against a tax measure because... I thought that the taxes were being used wrongly, even though if that tax measure had gone through, it would have meant that I got a raise because I was working for the county at the time. But I voted against it because I thought, no, they're not using the money wisely. I don't want a bigger cut of money that's being used unwisely. I want them to spend their money wisely and not do this. I, you know, I was voted down, obviously, but <clears throat> love is happy when the truth is honored. It rejoices with the truth. The twelfth thing, agape love is able to bear up under every load and withstand every trial. It, it's consistent. When things get rough, the, the agape love doesn't change. It's able, despite circumstances, to hope for God's blessing in all things. It's able to outlast any trial, enduring it as part of love. This is what we do. <clears throat> there are people that I've known of Fortunately, I haven't known any of them personally, but, well, maybe I have, to come to think of it, but that have divorced a husband or wife because they got a disease or, you know, they, they didn't want to be burdened with them. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata's first husband, or actually I think they were just engaged, uh, broke off the engagement after she got her neck broken. Uh, There's somebody else I knew that his wife got burned real bad, and, and he divorced his wife because he didn't want a wife that looked like that. Cool, that's real agape love. No, it's not. We endure. We outlast any trial. We endure it as part of love. And finally, in verse, verse 8, it says, in number the 15th thing, it says the, the agape love is eternal. It has eternal value. And if you read the rest of verse 8, <clears throat> you'll notice it says that, that if there's, it starts listing some of the gifts of the Spirit. It lists tongues. It says they're going to cease. It lists prophecy. It says it's going to cease and so forth. There's a lot of things that we think are 
are real valuable spiritual things, but they're going to cease. They're only for this life. But the agape love has eternal value. It's not going to cease to function. And choosing to love in that way is always an act of the will. It's a voluntary thing. It's not something that just comes naturally. It's not based on feeling. I think you've probably noticed that not a single one of the things we read here had to do with feeling. They had to do with action. They had to do with what you choose to do in response to what's going on around you. That's how agape love works. It is not based on feelings. It's not based on emotions. <clears throat> it's a voluntary choice. So what are some other things we know about agape love? In Romans chapter 13, verse 10, it says, Love works no ill to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Huh. Love and law. They would seem to be in contrast to one another, but God says that if that agape love is what's controlling your life, then you are fulfilling the rest of God's law as well. Now, do I believe that just because Paul said? No, actually, Jesus said the same thing. If you'll turn to Mark chapter 12, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 12, <clears throat> verses 30 through 33, there was a conversation going on there, and one of the scribes had asked Jesus, I believe it was a scribe, had asked Jesus, which is the greatest of God's commandment? And I think he was probably anticipating that Jesus would name the first of the Ten Commandments or something. But the two things he named didn't have anything to do with the Ten Commandments. Uh, they are both given later on. And one of them, he says that the Lord your God is one God and you're to love him with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind. And the other is like it and says thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And that one's from Leviticus and not from the Ten Commandments. And the scribe answered, well, that's a good answer, because if you do those two things, you're going to fulfill all the rest of the law. And Jesus said, you are not far from salvation. You're starting to get it. He's speaking to a guy that was in a group of his enemies, and he said, you're starting to catch on. You're not far from salvation. Now in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, we see that we're not to use our Christian liberty. The whole book of Galatians is trying to set the people free from the legalism that was being taught them by false teachers. They're being told that unless you keep the whole law, unless you become Jews, you can't be saved. And, of course, that's absolutely not true. And Paul pretty much devoted the entire book of Galatians to, to refuting that idea. And in Galatians 5 and 6, he branches off from that and shows how it works in real life. So he said, this liberty that you've gained in Christ, don't use it. Verse 5, excuse me, Galatians 5, 13 says we're not to use the liberty that we've been given as an opportunity for self-serving, for, for serving our flesh, our old sin nature, but rather by agape love, and he uses that word again, that love, we are called to serve one another. You see, love serves. That's something we can see about love, that love works no ill to its neighbor, and that love serves. <clears throat> Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So love not only serves, but it gives. Love works no ill. Love serves. Love gives. 
And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Above all things, have fervent charity, that's that agape love again, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity, the agape love, shall cover the multitude of sins. Cover sins? Cover how? What do you, what do you mean it's going to cover sins? I thought Jesus' blood took away sins. The Old Testament sacrifices covered sin. What are we talking about here? It's a different idea of covering. This is like the covering that, that Noah's two sons pulled over him, walking backwards so they wouldn't see him laying drunk and naked in his, in his tent. They covered him up. Love covers. It, it literally carries the idea of throwing a veil over something, covering something up. <clears throat> Agape love motivates us to throw a veil over the faults of others. And God says in the same manner, he has forgiven us, and he expects us to forgive others the same way. So how has God forgiven us? Well, in Psalm 103, verses 12 through 14, it talks about that. I think you'd probably like this, and this is why I told you to remember what you just sang, because uh, because some of the verses we sang in that uh, frail children of dust and feeble as frail, in him do we trust nor find him to fail. Well, that passage about being frail like dust comes from Psalm 103, <clears throat> which is where I was going anyway. Psalm 103, starting in verse 11, he says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. That would be a good thing for us to have toward one another, a genuine heartfelt mercy where I'm not given to condemning others. Number, uh, verse 12, he says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. I especially like that one because, you see, you could get in a plane and fly north, but you can only fly so far before suddenly you're going to be finding yourself flying south again. Why? Because you cross the North Pole and every place is south from there. You can only go so far north or south before you're going the other direction. But east and west, you can fly east for the rest of your life if you don't run out of aviation fuel. And you're never going to find yourself suddenly flying west. And the same thing goes the other way. It's, a, it's an infinite separation that God has separated us as far as the east is from the west. <clears throat> and then he goes on to say, Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. He he's compassionate toward us. We could start there, be compassionate toward one another. And he finally says in verse 14, he says, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail, in him do we trust nor find him to fail. That's what that verse is talking about. So maybe it would be a good idea for us to apply that in our own lives and recognize everybody else's frailties. We've got our own frailties. Believe it or not, you're not perfect either. <laughs> That's why we call ourselves the perfect church for those who aren't. We aren't perfect. But we're to remember that when we're dealing with other people and, and embrace their frailty, recognize that yeah, they got their faults and they're a child of God right along with me. God understands our frailties and he accepts us as we are. So the question then is, am I going to be that considerate towards the people around me? Am I going to accept them as they are and choose to tolerate their idiosyncrasies, choose to tolerate their irritating mannerisms, Am I going to choose to tolerate their flawed logic? Some people don't think real clearly. 
from one person's standard, they may look at something and think, okay, you're not even making sense. And another person says, no, I understood what he meant. Okay, so do we tolerate those differences or do we separate ourselves from other people because those other people clearly aren't as smart as I am and they clearly don't understand God's word the way I do and they clearly don't have proper manners. They weren't raised right. Those are all condemning words. Those, none of those have anything to do with love. God accepts us for who we are. He has covered us with his love, and Jesus took away the sins that stood between us and him. We need to have that same love toward one another. In Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Paul's quoting King David, but he says, Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. God no longer sees you as a lost sinner. In fact, he didn't see you as a sinner. You can believe that or not, but he doesn't see you that, that way anymore. He knows you've still got a sin nature. He knows you're still frail. But he doesn't choose to see you that way. He chooses to see you as you are a reborn child of God, the literal offspring of God. You haven't been just dragged in off the street and cleaned up a bit and said, try to stay out of trouble till dinner time. No, you're his, his real child. He's begotten us again, it says. So we've been sired by him. <clears throat> We're to accept one another on that, on that basis and lovingly put up with each other. You see, God the Father sees you in Christ and he only sees you in Christ. He sees you and me as completely holy and righteous in Christ. He doesn't see our old sin nature as part of us anymore. He's rejected that. He recognizes it can't be fixed. Even God can't fix your old sin nature, believe it or not. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 says that your old sin nature not only is not subject to God's law, it cannot be. It can't be fixed. So I have to live in the faith that God sees me in my new nature, and I have to apply that same attitude towards the people around me. The believers around me have a new nature, and that's what I'm embracing. <clears throat> I need to see people that way. The Lord chooses to no longer see me as a guilty sinner. He's asking me to choose to see other believers in that same light. That's what agape love requires. So if I am loving people with the agape love, then I'm not so likely to hold their faults against them. I'm not going to hold grudges. I'm not going to think, you know what, you creep, every time you come here, I end up feeling bad. You know, There's a lady that Ann and I used to know that she just loved Ann and blessed her up one side and down the other every time she saw her. And she criticized me every time we met, and almost as harshly as she was blessing Ann. I don't know why, but she was a child of God, and eventually she came around and she was understanding God's word and joyously telling me that she was teaching somebody else what I had just taught her in Sunday school. I thought, well, praise God. See, I could have rejected her because she was chewing me out so bad every week. Did you pray before you taught that class? Oh, no. I just, you know, threw my Bible in the air, caught it on one finger, and taught whatever I saw. No, I didn't. No, I studied hard, and I made sure I was understanding, I made sure I was teaching correctly. But I guess it just bugged her. See, but God had a hold of her heart right from the beginning, and it just took a while for her to recognize that in me. That's okay. 
You see, then we set aside their faults. We don't take into account the wrongs that we've suffered at their hands or at their mouth in this case. <clears throat> Why? Because their soul is more precious to us than our own comfort. And their well-being is more important to me than standing on my own rights. <clears throat> so what would the results be? Well, the result of agape love would be, if it's ruling in your life, is that you have a more consistent tranquility, for one thing, because you're at peace. People aren't bugging you as much. Because you genuinely see them as fellow heirs of the grace of life. And you're loving them. And you're filled with a concern for the welfare of other believers. You're going to find that you're no longer likely to be offended by others. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, you back off and think, well, I guess he's in a hurry. I hope he can get where he's going safely. Rather than the obvious other choice. <laughs> Where'd you learn to drive? You'll genuinely care about what they care about and look for opportunities to be a blessing to others without calling attention to yourselves. You're not just doing something good when other people are looking. <clears throat> and relationships will deepen as others sense that you genuinely care for them. It's not something superficial. That you're not just seeming to care when it looks good to care. Your priorities begin to change as you begin to see others through God's eyes. See, if I can see you through God's eyes, then I'm going to see you entirely different than if I look at you in the flesh. Our, our focus will shift away from self. We're going to increasingly find ourselves asking God to allow, to, to show us his way to respond to life and to allow us to walk in his path and follow him. And our church family will become increasingly important to us and precious to us as we learn to see the brothers and sisters through God's eyes. And lost people are going to seem increasingly precious to you as you realize this person is sliding into hell and I'm standing here watching. You know, you ever seen no, late, lately in the last few years, you'll see news things where some terrible thing has happened and everybody's standing around like this with their cell phones? They're not trying to help, they're trying to get a good picture. You know, can you get out of my way? I'm going to put this on YouTube. Okay. That's not a good heart to have toward an accident or toward a tragedy. People don't need their picture taken, they need help. And the reality of whether we love God is revealed by whether we love the brethren, whether we treat the brethren with his love. 1 John 4.20 poses the question. I'm reading the last half on purpose. I'm going to read the first half in a minute. It says, He who loves not his brother whom he has seen, how could he love God whom he has not seen? That's a fairly logical question. If you're not willing to extend God's love to your brother who you see every day, then how can you claim to love God whom you've never seen? You see, the first half of the verse reads this way. He says, if a man says, I love God, but he hates his brother, he's a liar. See, we're fooling ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. <clears throat> In 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, going back to where we started today, he says that we study to be quiet, to live quiet lives, to do our own business, take care of our own lives, take care of your, tend to your own netting, as they used to say, and work with our own hands, as he commanded us. There's, I'm sure in any culture, there's people that want to be a freeloader and live off of somebody else's labor. And our culture is getting more and more common. All of you know that. Uh, there are government programs that tempt you to 
you know, it's free money from the government. No, it's not. Where does that money come from? It comes out of other working people's pockets. That's where they got the money that they're, quote, giving you. It's not free. So we're, we, part of our testimony is people who live ruled by the agape love is we don't want to be freeloaders. We don't want to be a burden to somebody else. And that we're going to try, and not everybody can. There's people that are crippled. There's people that are disabled in one way or another and simply can't do it. Okay, that's different. Somebody gets too old to, to work or they can't think clearly anymore. You're, you're not going to expect them to get on a job and work 40 hours a week. They, they can't go there anymore. That's okay. We know that. God knows that. But he's exhorting these people that if they're doing this agape love, then part of the result is going to be you're not going to be bugging your neighbors and minding their business all the time, and you are going to be working so that you have something to give because you have extra and your own needs are being met. We're to have a reputation for being hardworking people that carry our own burdens, not freeloaders. And in Galatians 6, it says every man should prove his own work, and then he'll have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. We've all got work to do. We've got things that God's called us to do. On the other hand, in that same passage in Galatians 6, it says that we're to bear one another's burdens. There are two different words for burden. One of them... This one is when it says that every man's got his own burden to bear. It's talking about your own portion, your own assigned load. This is my task before God. The other one, when it says to bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, is a different word, and it means a crushing load that's just overwhelming that you can't handle. You know, uh, in the old days, a farmer is depending on his own legs and his mule's legs to get the work done, right? Now, if he breaks a leg... He isn't going to be out there plowing. And so a neighbor expressing this kind of love would step in and do his plowing for him. He's got extra work to do until that guy's leg heals up. Otherwise, that guy's crop is going to, he's not going to have a crop. His family's going to starve because he couldn't carry that load himself for that time. As soon as he's well, he'll be expected to get out there with his mule and do his own plowing, cultivating whatever he's doing. That's a different word. So agape love is practical, and it looks for opportunities to bless others in practical ways. And Jesus showed the ultimate example of agape love when he bore our sins at the cross. You see, that's something that we couldn't do. We owed a sin debt before God that we couldn't pay. No matter what we did, we could not unbreak the law that we'd broken. I can't unsin the sins that I've committed. Jesus took that debt on himself and paid it for us at the cross. He showed the ultimate example of agape love in doing that. In fact, that's what John 3.16 is about. When it says, for God so loved the world, it doesn't mean he loved him so much. It means he loved him in this manner. In this manner, God, so, God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should have everlasting life, should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, he met our need without respect for what it cost him. That's the definition of agape love. It's meeting somebody else's need without respect for how it affects you. We can either follow his example or fail to do so. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we'd ask that you'd fill our hearts with a consciousness of your presence and your love and the, the enormity 
of what you accomplished at the cross, that your love that was poured out for us, uh, just to understand how completely we were lost and how completely you've pulled us out of that lost condition and placed us into the body of Christ, that we now belong to you permanently. We'd ask that you'd help us to see others in that light and that we would have the same practical outpouring of love for others. We ask this in Jesus' name.